Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaSDoc. I'm Alex Thuma, and I'll be chatting to this week's guest about the challenges and rewards of growing a SaaS company. Before that, I just want to let you know about SaaSDoc Remote, which is our online conference happening on June the 10th and 11th. It's all geared around the three pillars of helping you, our SaaS founders, execs, companies, VCs, adapt, survive, and thrive during these times. Uh, It's a two-day event. We'll have uh, more than 3,000 attendees from across the world joining us, uh, uh, certainly at a time when you can't connect in person. This is a great opportunity to connect with your peers online. We'll have more than 150 speakers, including the likes of David Heinemar Hansen from Basecamp, Bill McKaitis, former CMO at Slack, at Zendesk and Salesforce. David Scott, Thomas Tungus, and more. So everyone who is anyone in SaaS uh, will either be there or be speaking. It'll include a virtual expo floor, networking and engagement, actionable keynotes and panels, interactive workshops and roundtables, matchmaking sessions, and lead generation opportunities for your company. So if you're a founder, exec, investor, or a startup in SaaS, we hope to see you there at SaaS.remote. Use the code SASREVOLUTION to get a discount of 20% off your tickets. They're already pretty cheap, starting at $129. So guaranteed to get much more than 10x uh, ROI. We hope to see you there. Go to sas.com forward slash remote. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, Jeff Titterton, CMO at Zendesk. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on the show. Where are you calling from today? Looks looks very sunny and nice. Very sunny, San Francisco. We don't always get sun, so I'm going to enjoy the brief moment before the fog rolls in. Excellent. And uh, I guess everybody right now, um, so we are end of April, so the 24th of April, I think it is today. So everybody is in lockdown globally. How has uh, sort of lockdown been, you know, for you, uh, I guess, being in San Francisco? I guess San Francisco certainly seems to have coped with COVID a bit better than, let's say, New York and even sort of UK and so on. I have to give our mayor, London Breed, a lot of credit. She was the first mayor in the United States to shut down a city. Um, turned out to be a really good move in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, our cases have remained low relative to some of the larger cities uh, in the U.S. Obviously, New York's been the hardest hit, but um, we are doing pretty well. We still have cases growing, but definitely uh, under control. Cool. Good to hear. Good to hear. So, so Jeff, um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. We want to know, you know, who is who is Jeff Titterton? Let's uh, find out a little bit about yourself as a person and how you've ended up as a CMO at Zendesk. Well, yeah. So I have been in tech in Silicon Valley for more than 20 years. Uh, I don't know exactly how many, but it's definitely well, well more than 20. Uh, I was a startup guy uh, for about 15 of those years. So I worked at a series of startups, started out in B2C, um, did some exciting, fun stuff, wrote a couple of waves, Web 1.0, Web 2.0, etc., um, before moving into B2B. Uh, from there, that led me to uh, Adobe, actually. I went and helped Adobe with their transition to the cloud. So Adobe was going through a major shift, as many people know, from, hey, we sell box software um, at retailers and through channel, and, oh, we're going to actually sell direct subscriptions. I had a lot of subscription background. They were looking for someone who knew how to engage customers, understood retention. They brought me in. It was a a wild ride of of four years of insanity um, as we really learned how to transition to really engaging your customers, talking to your customers and keeping them 
happy and healthy and sane. Um, that led me to Zendesk. I had always loved Zendesk. Uh, Zendesk is a company that I used at the startups that I was at. It was really where we, we built our customer experience around Zendesk. Um, and then we actually had Adobe as well in various places. And so I knew the company really loved the focus, the product and the vision, really the CEO's vision of where we wanted to go around this kind of customer experience centered world where the customer's at the center of everything you do. Uh, and so I've been there for three years or here, I should say for three years, it's uh, really been amazing. I love the company. What's it like? Uh, I, I, I mean, I only just thought about this question, but uh, Mikkel uh, seems, you know, he's such a, a big personality and seems like such a friendly personality and like really jovial and fun in everything that he does. What's he like as a, as a CEO and to work with? He is exactly that. <laughs> so he is a really funny guy. And, uh, you know, he is a startup founder who managed to ride the company up and maintain his CEO leadership. Um, all the way through being almost a billion dollars in revenue. That is very, very rare, right? Um, and that is because he has this combination of great leadership style. He's incredibly passionate about what we do. Um, he's incredibly passionate about the customer, but he's also just this very nice human being, uh, which I think comes through if you've met him. Sounds like you have. He is just a good, a good human being. And that really creates a great culture that is really rare. As much as I, as I thought. And so before we get into the topic of today, again, just thinking about what's happening in the world right now, given that your CMO is Zendesk, I really wanted to kind of ask, you know, how is Zendesk adapting its marketing in these times? And what are you seeing, you know, what is important for marketers, you know, in these times? So we have been some uh, doing quite a lot of changes in our marketing. I think like most companies, particularly B2B companies have had to make major shifts. So if you think about companies that sell to enterprise, commercial um, we do a lot of offline work, right? We talk to companies that we bring them to dinners, we bring them to events, we connect customers with each other. Um, all that came to a screeching halt um, in early March. We actually were one of the first companies to cancel our global user conference, which was supposed to happen March 3rd in Miami. We had to make the decision uh, three days before to cancel, um, which was a very tough decision. Uh, in retrospect, a really good decision. Um, yeah. There's stories in the New York Times about other events that didn't cancel in Miami and how they spread the virus. So uh, we were very happy we made that decision. That was just the beginning of a, it, frankly, a big pivot in what we were doing. So obviously we've had to move everything online um, and that's been actually not bad because I think we've seen a lot of great response from our customers and we've really focused on a message of help, right? And we wanted our message to be genuine. We didn't want to send out a, you know, Pablum CEO message saying we care very much. We wanted to come out and help our customers. So we, we launched a bundle of free software that's really helpful specifically for work at home, right? So we have our collaboration products that help people work remotely. Um, we also really wanted to connect leaders. Like if you think of all of that offline work, work that we do, it's really about connecting leaders with each other to network, to learn, to share. Um, so we've created a lot of that connection online, um, doing a lot of Zoom meetups, things like that, uh, virtual events, um, webinars, et cetera. And I think the response has been really good. And I actually think it might change our go-to-market permanently, right? Um, we know this crisis will last a pretty long time. 
uh, hopefully not forever. And, uh, but it also is showing us a more agile way that we can work. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I agree there. I mean, beyond, uh, let's say how we operate as businesses and how we you know uh, work with our customers, which I, I think there there's going to be definitely some benefits, uh, you, you know, out of uh, what we're going through, uh, you know, in in that respect. I mean, obviously, the, the the world perhaps you know in many ways is going to change for the better, you know. So our businesses, our messages, our relationships with our customers uh, and the world, uh, and, and perhaps it, it it has taken this unfortunate event. Uh, for for us to kind of get here, and I guess nobody nobody you know wished that it had happened, uh, but there there will be some good things that 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 will come out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure. I agree. One thing uh, one thing that I think it's really important for companies to do is look at their message and say, is my message helpful in this time? So, for example, we are in the lucky position, I suppose, uh, that a lot of our core values as a company really fast time to value, get up, set up easily, easy to use, easy to deploy, really makes sense now, right? As opposed to some companies where you, you know, they have to send in consultants and get everything set up and it takes six months. Um, we've been able to help a lot of companies very, very quickly. And so our message didn't have to adapt too much. Um, some of my colleagues at other companies have had to really pivot more dramatically their message uh, and, and how they actually think about approaching customer relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so what we wanted to uh, talk about today is something that you've got a lot of experience in, in, in terms of you know when you should be considering moving from single product to multi-product, or actually you know growing from single product to, to a multi-product company. I think I mentioned to you sort of like earlier for, for me, super interesting right now, and and I imagine actually probably for a lot of companies and founders and marketers and so on that that are listening because right now let's say what we've had to go through, we started the year as, you know, an events business, right? And then coronavirus kind of hit, we were in a very bad industry in a very bad place to kind of be in, right? And and actually, that focus that we've had for four years, that single-minded focus just to, you know, put all other product considerations on the shelf, actually put us in a bad position, you know, kind of earlier on, you know, in the year, well, actually four weeks ago, right? It's not, it's, it's not so long ago. And again, there are kind of many, whether you're a SaaS company or a different type of company, uh, you're either looking at, you know, pivoting, reinventing, you know, moving online, launching new products, right? To find these new streams where actually that you can generate probably revenue right now. So there's an interesting point about obviously, again, it being topical right now, but in general, like we want to kind of pick your brains on, you know, how do you grow from single product to to multi-product and and not just make it all about uh, COVID for sure. Um, So I I, I guess on on that basis, you know, let's learn a little bit about your experience there in, you know, what what you've done from moving from single to multi sort of product. uh, And then we can maybe go into some of the questions that I've got uh, around that for, for my own benefit, but for the audience as well. Yeah, I've been doing this my whole career, so I won't list all of the product uh, offerings. I think it's a very, very common thing that companies do uh, because, you know, there are high expectations, whether you're a private company and your VCs are there or you're a public company in the street wants more. Um, it is, there is always going to come a time and it comes for everyone, including Google, right, uh, where that one huge revenue stream is not going to keep up the growth expectations. And besides that, we also want to diversify because it's risky to only have one uh, revenue stream. So every company has this aha moment of, wait, if I launch a product, additional product, additional offering, additional service, I am going to make more money, uh, make my customers happier, and make, of course, my investors happier. Um, So again, I've done this at larger companies like Zendesk, like Adobe. I've done it at the startups I worked in. 
the lessons apply everywhere. The funny thing is everyone seems to learn the same mistakes over and over again. And I see it in a lot of our uh, other companies, you know, sister companies that we work with. So I'm, you know, I, I think the first thing I would really say is look at the product that you're thinking about launching and do the research to make sure that it actually is um, applicable and desired by the people that you are already selling to. Um, you know, there's lots of studies out there that show that the, the more closely related a product is to a core offering that a company offers, the more successful it will likely be. The, the more steps you remove, if you try and go really, really far, that's really challenging. Um, an example of something that went well was Adobe uh, Creative Cloud, where I worked, right? Obviously, this is the design you know, powerhouse, the juggernaut, uh, bought a stock company, right? A stock photography video company. Uh, what a great tangential offering, right? Because the audience all uses it. And Adobe did all that research to make sure that was true. Doesn't mean it was an easy transition, but it really was a great alignment between those two products. There are many other times where companies go, oh, it'd be really cool if I did this thing. It's too far removed from the core of what the customer wants. That makes you set up for failure. Yeah, no, no, good, good, good lesson. Um, what, what else are in within um, uh, your your career? Have you seen that? Uh, you know, when when you're when like when is the time right? You talked about like uh, there's these aha moments, and you think, okay, well, I, I I either need to diversify because there's risk, or you know, we need to generate more revenue, and then adding these products. Uh, uh, in general, are, are these the kind of the the kind of the two core? Kind of areas that that you see uh, as to why people would launch products and start to kind of look at look at doing this. Um, you know, has that been the case with, with with you? Yeah, I mean, the third one, which is the best one, is when customers are asking for it. I think yeah. um, you know, if if you look at businesses like ours, so uh, you know, Zendesk has added additional products over time because customers really wanted it. We added self serve products. We added social messaging. We just added as a new product offering, and that is because our customers were saying, you know, I am out. I need social messaging as a product that I can communicate with customers. Um, we recently launched a sales tool, Sell, um, which is through a company we purchased. Um, the reason for that is customer support, selling, marketing is all coming together more and more in this new world, right? And so, our customers are asking for this. We do that research and that that's the best way to figure it out. I think the worst way can sometimes be an investor tells you about it or uh, you're urgently seeking new revenue streams. Yeah. One of the first steps is this kind of uh, customer research, right? So just to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the customers do want this product and you're not building something that that's not wanted and, you, you know, fails in a uh, in a few months time or, or, or so on. Uh, what about the next steps and what, what, what should we be considering after we've done the research? Yeah, I mean, once you've done the research and you've decided what you that you want to do this product, I, I think the key very first thing you need to do is set realistic expectations. I, I, I have made this mistake many times. I think everyone thinks, oh, you know, I have this one product that did amazingly well. My next one is going to just do just as well. Um, the realities are that there was a combination of luck, amazing work product market fit at the exact right time that caused your first product to do well. The chances that the stars are gonna align that perfectly um, on your next one are lower. Um, and so setting those realistic expectations out the gate is really important because what happens often um, in companies is 
what, what companies end up doing is they end up basically putting too much emphasis on their secondary product because they're fit. it's their new baby, right? It's their new shiny object that everybody's obsessed with. And that's a huge mistake that I've seen companies make over and over again. I've made those mistakes myself is you should always know that your core product is your superstar, right? It's your 800 pound gorilla. It is the thing that is the most important to you. Don't mess with it, right? You need to set realistic expectations up front so that you aren't over-promoting it, putting it out there too much um, at the expense of your core. Uh, there's lots of examples here that I think companies have done pretty well. Like Uber is a good example of a company that, of course, is now struggling a lot, but uh, excluding global pandemics, um, you know, had Uber, the car ride uh, side of things, but added Uber Eats, but they aren't sitting there saying, let me constantly spam my users with Uber Eats messages. They're finding good ways to promote that are, that are more subtle, that are a nice additional benefit to the customer as opposed to trying to replace the core product offering. Are there, are there any circumstances where you would ever launch more than one product at a time? Or, or, or is there a particular kind of process where it would be one product per quarter, one per year, see if that works, move on to the next one. I'm a big believer in like one at a time. I mean, they are hard to do and they require, uh, adding a new product requires a lot of thought, a lot of research, a lot of expertise and no, but no product launch is gonna go amazingly well because you're gonna have to work out the kinks, right? Um, especially if you build it on your own, you're gonna have to work out the kinks and if you acquire and integrate, of course, that adds a, big additional layers of complexity of bringing together all the data, the technology, et cetera. So I, I have tried to do more than one at a time. It, it's, it's a mistake in my opinion. So let's say we, we decided if we're building internally a new product, you know, the research is there and this proves that this is the, the one that we're moving forward with. How do you then sort of determine who within the company to kind of put on that product? And what does that initial team look like? Yeah, that's a great question, because I, I think the way to do it, which I've seen most successful, is to create a small tiger team or whatever you want to call it, like a, almost a little startup team within the company first. Uh, where companies often struggle is when they say, you know, their big juggernaut team, they say, oh, we're also going to have you do this other product. Uh, the benefit of doing that, of course, is you get all of the resources of all of those teams. The negative of doing that is all of those teams have full-time plus other jobs. And so they're going to give it that extra 2% at the end of a 10-hour day, which means you're going to get pretty low-quality work products. So there's a phase there where you say, hey, you small team of uh, startup entrepreneurial types, and that's a key thing. You got to get people who love that creation motion, right? You're not having stewards in the early days who are gonna keep it going. You're having experimental startup types and they, they exist in big companies and small, of course, who are willing, ready, able to test, learn, fail, and get excited by that motion. There's a, that first phase of doing that and that's where you prove it, right? You're proving that it works um, because a lot of these are gonna fail. <laughs> um, they do most, most uh, babies never make it to the toddler phase in this world, right? And that's okay. Um, you have to be willing to accept that and, and know that and not worry too much about it. Um, but you're going to want those people to get it to that certain level. Then there's this second phase, which is mainstreaming it, right? Once you've proven it, then your core teams can start to integrate it in. 
I think one thing that's really important in that is you need to maintain one person who is the evangelist for that new product, right? They may not, you know, if you're mainstreaming into all of your organization, um, it's, it's, it can easily get diffused into that organization and again, lose its power uh, to get things done and to get the right promotion it needs, the right prominence it needs, whether that's with sales teams, marketing teams, you know, on the website, whatever. Uh, so having that evangelist who is pushing people to kind of continue that dream is super important as well. A two-part question here. So the product is ready um, and now we, we have to launch it, right? And uh, so, so uh, the first part of the question is launching your first new product or your second product, uh, uh, as it were. Um, what are your kind of considerations or marketing tips for this? Uh, and then I think you touched upon it a little bit sort of like previously. And then when you become a multi-product organization down the line, what are the considerations in, in marketing for, for multi-product organizations? Yeah, good question. So I'd say that the first launch is, it's an expectation setting, I think is the most important thing. Um, there, unless you're Apple and you're launching the new iPhone or whatever, or some huge new hardware offering, um, very few launches are going to, you're going to get some interesting vertical press. You're going to get some tire kickers and you'll get your early adopters in um, and then you enter the slog, right? Unless you've created a world changing product offering, which most of us haven't, um, 99% of the time haven't, uh, you're in for a test, learn, iterate, slowly grow up. And, you know, slow, hopefully slowly is 50% a year or 100% a year up front when it's little, but it's not going to be 400% a year, 500% a year, like some people really want. I think there's a lot of challenges as you get sort of a challenge and an opportunity as it becomes more of a mainstream product. Um, there's a beautiful simplicity of a one product company, right? Is what's going to go on the homepage? Well, we already know it's the one product, right? What do you do in checkout? Oh, the one product. What are you going to email them about? The one product, right? It's very, very easy. What are your sales teams going to sell? The one product. <laughs> very, very simple. Your enablement's about one product, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as you get into two or three or five products, what is the homepage about? That's a debate, right? What is the checkout? Checkout becomes this potential monstrosity. And trust me, I have worked through this challenge like go look at the checkout of companies that offer multiple products to the same buyer. It is a mess often. Um, it is very, very hard. And the customer is the one who suffers, right? Uh, the technologies I think you really need to invest in are segmentation, personalization technologies, because you should be able to offer different products to different people based on what you know about them, right? So that's one thing you need to invest in data, of course, so that you can say, this is the right time for me to in introduce this new product to this customer. Early on, you're probably, for the most part, offering your 800-pound gorilla product. That's what you should be hitting on. That's the main value to the customer. But you will learn to identify times where in the customer journey you should be introducing secondary products um, and getting those customers going. Again, to use that Uber example, really getting them to take the first ride is the most important thing, getting them to put in their credit card. Um, downstream, offering Uber Eats for when they're hungry and at home is a, is a nice secondary thing. Have you, have you seen cases, um, I guess we bring it to SaaS, of successful $100 million SaaS companies that have a single product focus or has everybody that's got to that kind of level uh, become a multi-product company at that point? 
100 million you can get to. A billion, I think, is a lot harder, right? I mean, if you if you ever, I don't know if you've seen these charts of SaaS companies and how many make it to 100 million. There's actually quite a few. Um, it's really hard to get 100 million, right? Yeah. But then the the drop off to a billion is massive, and then the drop off to two, three billion is even more massive. So I tend to look to the very large companies out there, right? Like the Adobe's, my old employer of the world, the Oracle's, all of those folks. Um, None of them are single product companies. These SaaS companies have all diversified a lot. Um, now they may have a sweet spot, right? Like Adobe outside of creative marketing is its sweet spot, right? Salesforce sales is its sweet spot, right? Et cetera, et cetera. But they all have broadened their offering. Um, that's both additional products for that same buyer. Um, and that is additional buyers, which is a whole other podcast. <laughs> about selling to a different buyer adds like a huge additional complexity to your work. Yeah, no, absolutely. Final, final question, we always bring it back to, to, to our guests. And you mentioned at the beginning um, around, you know, helping your customers stay healthy and sane. And actually our final question is always, like, how do you stay healthy and sane as an exec at, uh, you know, a multi-billion dollar SaaS company? It can't be easy, but um, what are your tips to, uh, to, to staying healthy and sane? Uh, great question. I am, uh, well, there's sort of normal sane and then there's COVID sane, honestly, yeah. but uh, I'll talk about both. I think normal sane is I'm an exercise junkie. So I, uh, before COVID used to do Barry's boot camps all the time. Um, and would do my own workouts. I run half marathons, used to run marathons, things like that. COVID, I now do Peloton inside and I do Freeletics, which I was chatting with you about, I think right before this, uh, which yeah. is an awesome app and also a Zendesk customer, which I love. I try to meditate, I often fail at it because usually I get up, my meditation slot gets uh, eaten by email. Yeah. The, the big thing in this COVID world that I've really tried to focus on is frankly being grateful that I am in the very, very lucky position relative to 90 whatever percent of the world of having a job, having a home, having a healthy family, um, and being in a place where I work at a company that can help other companies, right? And who can then help end users. I think I will say we all can tell that people are a lot more stressed right now. It's, it would be shocking if they weren't. I try to go in every morning saying, how can I help people more uh, in this moment? Because I know that they're suffering. I don't always succeed at it, frankly, but I uh, certainly try my best. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good mindset to have. And I mean, let's say we, we were sharing the similar or almost the same COVID sort of workout. And uh, likewise, I think just because of the way the world is at the moment, I think, as you said, every, everybody's feeling a bit more stressed. So I've, you know, picked up the meditation again, because again, it, it's kind of got a little bit sort of like disrupted, you know, for me, thinking that I didn't have those 10, 15 minutes, you know, in the morning, going too easy to go to email or so on. But uh, I picked it up again. Let's see if I can uh, keep that habit. But uh, and, and hopefully it, 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 it does work, doesn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. It's it's, you know, I joke with my friends who are kind of exercise junkies like I am that for some reason we can put hours into that, but that 15 minutes to meditate yeah. feels too much. That yeah. tells us we're probably imbalanced and, and yeah. we really need to rebalance. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Well, Jeff, uh, you know, it's been fantastic to, to have you on the show. I really appreciate your, your time and sharing those lessons, you know, in, in growing, uh, you know, some multi-product companies. So, so Jeff Sisson, uh, CMO at Zendesk, thanks so much. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash remote for SaaS Remotes, our online conference, which is coming up on June the 10th and 11th. Use code SASREVOLUTION to get 20% off your already cheap tickets and join SaaS founders from across the world for this two-day event. Uh, you know, I am biased, but it looks like the best conference happening in June online and yeah hopefully we'll see you there